Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 13, beginning with verse 13. Listen for God's voice as we hear this story from the journeys of the Apostle Paul. Paul and his companions set sail. John, however, left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the officials of the synagogue sent them a message, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, give it. So Paul stood up and with a gesture began to speak. You Israelites and others who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our ancestors and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. With uplifted arm, he led them out of Egypt. For about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. In the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. He made David their king. In his testimony about David, God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my heart, who will carry out all my wishes. Of this man's posterity, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. My brothers, you descendants of Abraham's family and others who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. Because the residents of Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus or understand the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled those words by condemning him. When they had carried out everything that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And they are now his witnesses to the people. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people urged them to speak about these things again the next Sabbath. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm back in the saddle. This week I came back from my time of spiritual growth and renewal leave. All week long, people have been asking me, how was your leave? What have you been up to all summer? And the answer to that question is mostly I got some rest. That was what I really needed. I needed a time to rest and reconnect with God and with my family. And so that's what I did. I spent a lot of time this summer doing yard work. I spent a lot of time cooking and caring for my family. I went camping in the Upper Peninsula a couple times. I spent a couple of weeks with my feet in the water, Lake Superior. Mostly this summer, I took some time and I got the rest that I needed. But my summer wasn't entirely restful. There was a little bit of work that happened this summer. A few months ago, as I was preparing and planning out my leave, I got a call from the director at Camp Michigami. 
Now, Camp Mishigami is a United Methodist summer camp way up in the Upper Peninsula. It's located between Marquette and Nagani. And my phone rang and I answered it. It was the director of Camp Mishigami and he said, Hello, Pastor Jeremy. He said, I know that you've got some connections to Camp Mishigami and it just so happens that I'm looking for somebody to come up and help out for a week as a camp pastor. I'm wondering if you're available. I have to tell you, I really had to think about it. I very nearly told the director no, because I know how much work goes into planning and helping and leading a week of camping ministry. I knew that that week would be work. I knew that it wouldn't be rest. And I very nearly said to the director, I'd love to come and help out some other time, but that's not what I've planned out for my summer. I need to get some rest. I need to take a break. And I know that coming up there to Camp Mishigami would be more work than I signed up for this summer. I almost said no. But then I got to thinking about what Camp Mishigami has meant in my life. I started going up to Camp Mishigami when I was just nine years old. I kept on going back to the camp year after year, summer after summer. And I can safely and confidently say that without the time I spent at Camp Mishigami, without the experiences I had and the people I met in that place, I would not be who I am or where I am today. I might not be a follower of Jesus, let alone a pastor, if not for the experiences I had at Camp Mishigami. And so finally I decided to say yes. I accepted the invitation to come and help for a week as a camp pastor, and so it was that right in the middle of July, right in the middle of my spiritual growth and renewal leave, I made the long trip up to the UP. I drove up to Camp Mishigami, this place that I hadn't visited in something like 20 years. And when I pulled into camp, there was a minute, there was just a minute or two when I did feel a sense of restfulness and peacefulness. It was so very good to be back in that place, surrounded by those trees and cabins and all of those memories. For just a moment, I could feel God giving me the Sabbath rest that I'd been seeking all summer long. And then the campers showed up. And as the parents were pulling into camp and dropping off all of these campers and unpacking their sleeping bags and their cabins, I looked around and I started to realize that this week was going to be even more work than I had anticipated. Because as parents were dropping off campers, I started talking to some of the parents. I started getting to know some of the families. And I kept asking the question, so which church are you a part of? And over and over and over again, I got the same answer. Well, we're not part of any church. As the campers were being dropped off, I realized that something like 90%, maybe more than 90% of the campers who were there that week had no church home, no church family. Many of them had never set foot in a church before at all for any reason. And as I was looking at all of these campers moving into the camp, I suddenly had a moment of self-doubt. I wondered, how on earth am I going to connect with all of these campers who have no knowledge of the Bible, never been in a worship service, have no context for understanding what it is that we do in this place. I was afraid that it was not only going to be work, but that it was going to be hard work. And then that night, that first night of camp, we had our very first bonfire. The whole camp gathered around the bonfire. And that's when I discovered that this work was going to be a very challenging week indeed. 
I tried to share with the campers a message that I had prepared, but over in this corner, there was this group of eight-year-old boys, and they had brought to camp with them this great, big, eight-year-old boy energy, and they were combustible, and they were rambunctious, and they were inexhaustible, and no matter how hard I tried to talk over them or talk to them or talk around them, they just would not stop competing and making noise and being distracting. And by the time we wrapped up campfire that night, I had just about lost my voice already on the first night of camp and I was feeling tired and beat up and disillusioned wondering how on earth were we going to make it through a whole week of camp with this group of obnoxious distracting rambunctious eight-year-old boys I started to wonder if maybe I should have turned down the invitation if it was a big mistake for me to drive all that way up there to spend a week at Camp Michigami well I didn't sleep very well that night I tossed and turned all night long and then the next morning, we gathered all the campers together for worship in the chapel. I stood up front and I looked out over all of those campers. I saw this whole pew of those eight-year-old boys. And, and standing up there wondering, how am I going to connect with these combustible, rambunctious, inexhaustible campers? I finally just did the only thing that I could think to do. I started telling the story. I started at the very beginning. I started with the story of creation. I told the story of the God who created everything and the God who sees good in everything. And then the next day I told the story of Moses. I told the story of a God who hears our cry and who longs to set us free. The day after that I told the story of Jonah. I told the story of a God who loves everybody, even those people we have a hard time loving. The day after that, I told the story of Jesus calming the storm, and I talked about the God who is with us in the middle of every storm. Day after day, I got up front and I told the story. And day after day, as I told the story, something amazing started to happen. The campers started to listen. They started leaning forward in their pews. And by the time we got to Friday night, by the time we were celebrating communion together on Friday night, you could have heard a pin drop in the chapel as I told the story of Jesus, as I told about his enemies who came to arrest him, as I told the campers how they hung him on a cross, how they laid him in a tomb, as I told the story of how Jesus rose up from the grave and proved that nothing in this world and nothing in the next, nothing in heaven and nothing in earth, nothing in life and nothing in death, can never separate us from the love of God, the unbreakable love of God, who comes to us in the person of Jesus. After we celebrated communion that night, because it was the last night of camp, the campers had a great big outdoor dance party. They dragged out some big speakers and they played music and somebody found a broom and started a limbo line. I didn't limbo. My limboing days are over and so I just sort of sat off to the side, I stood and I watched as all of these campers were having fun, enjoying their last night at camp. And as I was standing there watching the festivities, I realized that there was somebody standing next to me. I turned and looked down and I saw that one of these rambunctious eight-year-old boys had come over and he was standing next to me and I said, hi. And he said, hi. And then he said something that made my heart skip a beat. He looked up at me and almost shyly, he said, could you please tell me some more of those stories about God? I love when you tell all of those stories about God. And so I thought fast. 
I thought, what kind of a story does an eight-year-old boy want to hear? And the first story I told him was the story of a man named Balaam and his donkey. It's the only story in all the Bible that features a talking donkey. I thought maybe that was the sort of a story that an eight-year-old boy would enjoy, and he did. And when I finished that story, he said, can you tell me another one? And so I told the story of Jesus walking on water. And then I told the story of Jesus turning water into wine. And I told story after story after story. And as I was telling all of these stories, more and more campers started drifting over and gathering around to listen. And finally, when we had a little congregation off to the side of all the dancing and partying that was happening, I looked down at this camper, this eight-year-old boy, and I said, you know, it would help if I knew which stories you already heard. What stories from the Bible do you know already? He looked up at me and he said, I don't know any of these stories. He said, all of these stories are new to me. Nobody has ever told me any stories about God before. And I asked him, well, do you have a Bible at home or here at camp? And he said, no, I don't have a Bible. And then I asked him, well, would you like a Bible? And it turned out he wanted a Bible. And it turned out he wasn't the only one. In that little crowd of campers that had gathered around us, there were any number of campers who didn't have their own Bible at home, hadn't had a Bible to bring to camp. And so I said, hold on. And I went to a place where I knew there was a, a great big box of brand new Bibles that the camp kept around for campers who were in need of them. And I brought back a great big stack of Bibles. And then we sat at a picnic table. And while the dance was happening, I got out a pen and I started writing campers' names in Bibles. I started writing messages of encouragement in Bibles. I started turning down corners to mark the page where the stories of Jesus started in Bibles. And I started trying to answer very perceptive questions about the nature of the Trinity that this nine-year-old girl kept asking. And as I was sitting there at the table telling stories about God and writing campers' names in Bibles, suddenly, suddenly I reached out to God in my heart and I said, okay, I understand why you wanted me here this week. I see what you wanted me to see. I hear what you wanted me to hear. I understand that you wanted me to come all this way up here this summer so I would know, so I would be reminded that there is power in the story. Some of the exhaustion that we experience, much of the burnout and disillusionment that we experience in ministry and in the church is due to the fact that we make all of this following Jesus stuff more complicated than it needs to be. Before we are anything else, before we do anything else, our identity in Christ is very simply this. We are the people who tell the story that has the power to save the world. And we do an awful lot of good and worthwhile things as part of our, our life together in the church. But above and beyond all of those things, this is our ministry in word and in deed. We tell the story that has the power to open hearts, transform lives, and save the world. In today's scripture reading, we find the Apostle Paul as he tells the story. When we pick up the story today in the book of Acts, we find the Apostle Paul in a moment when he is exhausted and feeling a little bit disillusioned. At this point in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is about 500 miles into his very first missionary journey. The leaders of the church have, have reached out to Paul and his friend Barnabas and they've said, we want you to travel around. We want you to go from city to city preaching and starting churches wherever you go. And so Paul and Barnabas set out and they took some traveling companions with them. 
And they went from place to place preaching and trying to start churches. And up until this point in the journey, Paul and Barnabas haven't had much success. At their very first stop, Paul and Barnabas preached a few sermons, but nobody much seemed very interested. So they moved on. At their second stop, there was a, a local magician, a sort of a false prophet who saw Paul and Barnabas as a threat. He was afraid they were going to cut into his business. And so he went to the local authorities and tried to have Paul and Barnabas thrown out of town. It was at this point in the journey that some of Paul and Barnabas's traveling companions decided enough was enough. And they gave up and went home. And Paul and Barnabas continued on. They arrived at their third stop on the Sabbath, the Jewish day of rest. It must have been a great relief to Paul and Barnabas to be able to spend that Sabbath day truly resting. They'd traveled something like 500 miles by ship and on foot. They were losing their voices, their feet were tired, and it must have been a great relief for them to find the local synagogue when they came into town and to settle into a pew for worship, to take a load off their feet and let the words of Scripture wash over them. I imagine Paul sitting in a pew, maybe even just leaning back his head and closing his eyes and thanking God for this opportunity to find a little Sabbath rest. And then, just then, just as Paul was finally beginning to experience the rest that he so desperately needed, suddenly he felt a nudge. He opened his eyes. He saw that one of the leaders of the synagogue had slid on over to him and Barnabas. And the man tugged on Paul's robe and said, Welcome, stranger. You look like a man who's traveled a bit. You look like a man who's seen some things. It's our custom to invite newcomers to stand up and speak a few words to the congregation. So what do you say? Do you have a message of encouragement to share with the people today? And maybe Paul considered saying no. Maybe Paul thought to himself, my voice is tired, my feet are tired, I haven't prepared a sermon, I'm just going to sit this one out. I'm going to politely decline and stay here in my pew and just listen and let God's Sabbath wash over me. Maybe Paul considered saying no. We'll never know. Because what Paul actually did was this. He stood up. He thought for a minute. And then he started doing the only thing he could think to do. He started telling the story. He told the story of Moses. He told the story of a God who hears our cry and longs to set us free. And then he told the story of King David, a man after God's own heart. And then Paul told the story of Jesus, a descendant of that very same King David. Paul told the congregation that day how Jesus came into this world as a prophet and like a prophet he was rejected and put to death. And then Paul told them how on the third day God raised Jesus from the dead so we would know the power of God's unbreakable love. Paul told the congregation that in Jesus, God has declared forgiveness and freedom for all who have faith, for all who put their trust in Jesus. Paul told the story, and when he finished telling the story, he sat back down. The leaders at the synagogue wrapped up worship, and when all of the worshipers were finally dismissed, a mob of people suddenly came and gathered around Paul and Barnabas, and people started leaning in and thanking them for telling their stories, asking them to tell more stories, begging them 
to come back the next Sabbath day, to come back one week later and tell the story again, tell more of these stories about Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas stuck around. They waited a week. The next Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue again. And when they arrived at the synagogue, they found that almost the entire city had turned out for worship that day. Why? Because they wanted to hear the story. At the third stop on his first missionary journey, Paul discovered that there is power in the story. This summer up at Camp Mishigami, God reminded me that there is still power in the story, that there are still people in this world who are hungry to hear the story. Before we are anything else, we are the people who tell the story in word and in deed, the story that has the power to save the world. And I am so very glad to be back in Flint so you and I can continue to tell the story together. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the story. We give you thanks for the ways in which it has opened our hearts and shaped our lives. We pray that you would make us as tireless and courageous as Paul and Barnabas in telling the story in our words and in our deeds, that the world might know your love, that the world might be healed, that the world might be saved. In Jesus we pray. Amen.